Hello and welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. I am so glad you're here. I am your host, Courtney Hansen. With each week, we will have exciting new guests to grow spiritually, develop personally, and learn how to step into our purpose authentically. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 30 minutes of connection with the mind, body, and spirit. Welcome to The Sweetest Little Life. I am so excited to have you on the show today. Can you do a quick little introduction before we hop into your story? Sure. Um, Well, my name is Karina Fitch, and I am a midwife and uh, former neonatal intensive care nurse. I've been working with pregnant and postpartum women and people since 1995. And, And then I went through my own personal experience with postpartum depression and anxiety after the birth of my third daughter. So I've been shifting since then the nature of my work from midwifery in the traditional sense of providing prenatal care and attending births in the community setting and postpartum care to more of a midwifing of the spirit and um, sort of like a life coach for for pregnant and postpartum women. That is amazing. Can you share a little bit about your story with postpartum? Sure. Yeah. So um, I feel like, you know, with my, my first daughter, I didn't, I wouldn't say I had postpartum depression, but it was, it was just, um, like a rough reckoning with what it is to give birth and become a mother, even though at that point I had been practicing as a midwife for about seven years, I was completely humbled by my own birth process and, and by the vulnerability that I would experience postpartum. And so that kind of set me off into a deepening of how I worked with my clients and really trying to instill in them the importance of self-care and valuing themselves during the pregnancy. Because a lot of, a lot of that kind of gets blown out the window once your baby is on the outside. So I started to cultivate all these extra services that really in support of maternal wellness. And, and then after my third daughter, I um, about three months postpartum, I started to feel off. I started to feel like I didn't think I didn't have confidence in myself anymore. I had, you know, I started to doubt my, my capacity as a midwife, as a mother. I felt mostly because I, it was a lot to hold. So I was, I was now the mother of three. I had two children under the age of three and I was the primary provider for my family. Um, I had to start going back to attending births earlier than I would have liked to for financial reasons. And so the combination of like the on-call 24-7 life of a midwife and holding life and death responsibility and the on-call 24-7, 365 life of a mother, Mm -hmm. um, it was just, it crumbled me. And I felt uh, really, I think the hardest part for me was two things. One was um, feeling a, a sense of purposelessness, which you know, I knew I was, I was born and raised in a community that is famous for its midwives. And so I grew up around home birth, around um, midwifery and knew from when I was about 12 years old that my path was to be a midwife. So I felt very called to that from a young age and always had a very strong sense of purpose. 
so to and then and then I was in this place of like well can I really do this anymore with three kids like can I really do this and if not who am I and so that was one piece the other piece that was really really hard was um feeling like I should know better you know here I was a, a midwife um I've already been a mother now at this point for I guess my oldest was about nine years old when I had my third um I was a spiritual seeker I was somebody that was known by my clients and people in the community as being grounded and calm and like knowing knowing shit <laughs> and here yeah. I was feeling like totally lost like I felt like I had all these tools and none of them were working and so there was a, a big piece of it was shame and guilt, guilt about, you know, feeling so um, anxious, feeling like just a lack of presence. Like I was always in my head. I wasn't able to be fully present for my children um, and feeling so unmotivated. That was so different. I I've always been somebody who's very, has a lot of passion, has a lot of drive. Um, and so to feel like I didn't want to get out of bed in the morning and then to feel like I was supposed to be this perinatal professional and I'm struggling with postpartum depression. So there was a, there was a lot of uh, layers over the feelings that, you know, people that are depressed feel like hopelessness and despair and um, anxiety. You know, I would say I had probably equal amounts of anxiety and depression. Um, and then sort of layered on top of that was like shame about the fact that I was feeling this way, mm -hmm. right? So um, my, my way through was so much about learning self-compassion. Um, and I started to talk to my clients about, you know, we have to create a container for ourselves. And our container is made up of self-compassion and self-care. And we, we hear a lot about self-care all the time. And it's become like the buzzword. And, and in general, as moms, as women, we tend to be really good at at the talk about it, but we're not so good at the embodiment of it. And so what I found was that the reason for that is that we don't have the self-compassion piece. We're, we're, um, we're criticizing ourselves. We're feeling like we're not enough. So we're feeling like we don't deserve to take time out for ourselves and do things that are nourishing. Yeah. And um, so I started to really build my own container. And from there, um, Re regain my sense of faith and trust in in a higher power in the divine and in, in whatever way um you know people call that for me it's just feeling connected to a force that is larger than me that is um life affirming ultimately and and the third piece was community um really valuing and understanding um, over and over again, the value of the village, um, reiterating that for, for the women that I work with. And, and I became very, very passionate about maternal health care and, um, and the maternal health care crisis that we are facing right now in this country, which I really see as urgent. And I really see it as the, um, one of the, the biggest issues of our lifetime in this moment. Um, and it's on all levels, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a medical crisis that started 25 years ago when maternal mortality began to, to climb. Um, the CDC didn't even, even track maternal deaths until 1986, which kind of says a lot too. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah. 
Oh my um, gosh. So, I mean, that says a lot about how do we, how do we value mothers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at that, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I love that you brought up the village mentality too, because I, I, our stories are very, very parallel. And with my third eye postpartum to the point that I almost took my own life. And yeah. with that, it was, it was different because I didn't, ha- I don't have family. I didn't have that contact with my mom and dad. I didn't have the support yeah. Um, or the community, because with my younger two, when I had them, they were my life. I was breaking generational curses. I was going to do it different. I was in this warrior mentality, and my husband is a firefighter, so he was gone all the time. And so it was like, I can do this. I'm woman. Hear me roar. I am independent. Yeah. And you know, when you push and you push and you push, and then you can't push anymore. And when people would talk about postpartum depression before as a mother, I'd be like, that's fake. That's not real. You get a little sad, you pull your panties up and you go Right. until I had it with my third and it was paralyzing. And I would just look at my kids and cry because I wanted to play with them so bad. And I couldn't, I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't like beat the anxiety. And I went to the doctor begging for help, explaining what was going on. I'm like, I'm drinking two bottles of wine tonight because it's the only time I get mm. to exhale. And I've turned into this alcoholic and I'm hung over every day. And it's just this vicious cycle that I can't beat. And they're like, oh, here's Xanax and Prozac. Right. And so then, you know, I have a reverse reaction. Me and my husband end up in this huge fight. I end up in jail, which I'm sitting there like, what has happened to my life? Like I went from being a mom blogger, great, like, you know, mom of the year, Pinterest mom. And that was like all I knew. But in the means of that, I lost myself. Like I didn't know who Courtney was because I was just Liam and Audrey's mom. I was nothing else. And so when you talk about the village mentality, you talk about community that's gone. Like, so coming back home to that. And I mean, you look back through our history and through our ancestors and they did not do things the way we do things. No, no. The nuclear family is a very recent development in, in human history. And it's, it's literally killing us. Yes. I really believe it's killing us. I mean, 20% of, postpartum related deaths are the result of suicide. Mm -hmm. And I know I reached that place. That was when I finally decided to get on medication because I was, I didn't have a plan, but you know, I had the thoughts and um, suicide attempts among pregnant and postpartum mothers have, have nearly tripled over the last 10 years. Yeah. So there's a way that uh, we really, we have to remember the village. It's, it's absolutely essential. And I think that the pandemic hopefully has, is bringing that to light in a way that Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't quite get before, but I just want to backtrack to the, um, that maternal death rate. So in, in 1986, it was seven per hundred thousand. And, uh, by 2016, that had jumped to 17 and in 2020, it's up to 23.8 per 100,000 women. And that might not sound like a lot, but um, if you compare it to... I have chills everywhere, just so you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And um, we are the only industrialized nation that has had a rising maternal mortality rate. Mm. Um, the fact that this is happening in a wealthy country like the US that has all the resources mm-hmm. to be able to do better is criminal. And, you know, that speaks to this, this societal devaluing of the lives of mothers, particularly black and brown mothers and parents um, who's, who are dying at three times the rate of their white counterparts. And in some places like New York, it's 11 to 12 times um, the rate of white women. Yes. 
So we can't truly learn the value of maternal health until we listen to and we lift up our black and brown mamas that are, that are dying at really unacceptable rates. And right. the, the research around this shows that these disparities are primarily caused by systemic racism and provider bias. Um, because when we look at, you know, whether things like socioeconomic level, marital status and, and education level are protective, they are for white women, but not for black women. Mm. Uh, and we can see this so clearly in the classic case of Serena Williams, who nearly died because nobody listened to her. Um, but this happens to countless other, other black women and people around the country. Gosh. So where do we as a collective make change? Yeah, well, I think that uh, we have to we have to begin with ourselves. I really think that right. um, maternal wellness is the lifeblood of humanity. It is at the heart of societal wellness. And yes, fathers are important too. Children are important. But what we know for sure and what we are the living evidence of right now is that when moms aren't well, nobody's well. Mm -hmm. And when we invest in and center maternal wellness, we are investing in life because mothers, when they're thriving, this ripples out to the children, the partner, the community, the society. When we honor the life bearers and the life nurturers, everyone benefits. And so we need systemic change. Uh, we need the village. But ultimately, I think we need to change within ourselves uh, how we value ourselves because nobody is coming to save us. Um, nobody's coming to save us. We have to really begin to believe in the value of our own wellness and not just um, accept like sort of surviving off of fumes, right? Uh, physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, we need to be well. And the way that we can begin to do that is by understanding that our wellness really, really matters. Um, we also need to acknowledge that becoming a mother is like you said, you felt like you lost yourself. That's a very common experience that, that people go through when they become a mother, because we don't talk about the fact that becoming a mother is a transformational shift in identity. Um, and it involves big changes on many levels, including brain, brain changes, physical changes, hormonal shifts. Um, emotional, physical, financial, social changes, right? And there's a word for this. And before I share what that is, I want to talk about a similar word that we've all heard of, which is adolescence, right? Adolescence is another time in our lives where we go through significant change. And because we've named it and we've all been through it, we do our best to support it, right? We, we know what it is. We talk about it. Um, but the, the word that uh, describes this process of mother becoming is matrescence. Mm. Have you heard That's of That's beautiful. Isn't no, beautiful I haven't. Word? I'm like intrigued. <laughs> so matrescence is, um, was, was a, a term coined by Donna Raphael, who was an anthropologist in the 1970s, that basically is this process of mother becoming, all these changes that we go through. And here we are 50 years later, and most folks have never heard of this. I just learned of it in the last three, three or four years. Matrescence. So, matrescence. God, I, I love that. Yeah. And so, how, you know, we can't possibly support a process that is unnamed and is invisible to us, right? And that's 
part of why we're not supporting it is because we're not acknowledging it and we're not even, we don't even know what it is. <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to drop this in like at least five sentences today. <laughs> <laughs> right. Good. That's, that is one of my missions in, in my work, in my life is to make this a household word that everyone knows just like they know the word adolescence. Yeah. Um, and so I think what I have come to believe are the five key elements to preventing the mood disorders, uh, which by the way, are the number one complication of pregnancy. They affect one mm. out of seven pregnant people. And I would say it's probably higher than that because many people are not being screened or if they are not, if they are screened, they're not being referred. And so the first piece is acknowledgement. Yeah. Like we have to begin to remember that this is a big deal. I mean, in throughout history and across cultures, there have always been special ways that pregnant women and postpartum women have been treated, have been cared for. And we have lost a lot of those. Um, and then number two is preparation and screening. So like for providers, you know, OBs, midwives, doulas, childbirth educators, we need to be really talking to our clients about all of these changes and listening to them, really hearing what are their fears, what are their visions, what are their desires around this process of becoming a mother. And then screening, uh, pregnant people need to be screened at every, um, every opportunity, like several times throughout the pregnancy and during the postpartum. And we need to expand our definition of what postpartum is. Right now, you know, the medical community kind of likes to want to tuck it into a six-week box. <laughs> Yes. But anyone who's been through it knows that that's, that is not the case. It, it, go, it goes on for years. I mean, I, I consider postpartum to be about a three-year period before you kind of really settle into your identity as a mother or feel like you've kind of come back to pieces of yourself that you left behind. Right. Um, right, because you're in survival mode. I mean, you're like changing diapers, trying to sleep a couple hours here, a couple hours there, whipping the boob out, whipping the bottle out. You know, it's nonstop for those first few uh, years. Yeah. And I yeah, love it, that you said the one in seven because you think about it. Like when you really analyze it, think like I know for me when I would go and get that sheet of paper on check these boxes and I knew they were screening me for postpartum and I was like, I'm not going to tell my postpartum. I don't know what's going to happen. So well, I look what happened to you. I mean, yes. Exactly. That's exactly so, why people aren't honest too. Yeah. It's, it's terrible the way we, we stigmatize it and, and isolate moms and separate them from their children. And um, yeah, it's, it's because you're terrified. And I can only imagine as an, I, I had already had two kids at that point. This was my third. So I can only imagine as a brand new mother, you don't want to answer those questions or be honest about that because you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my baby? What, you know, you're in panic right. mode. Absolutely. Yeah, and then the, the postpartum care that we do in this country is, is really pretty pathetic. I mean, people for people that are birthing in, in hospitals, which is the majority of folks, they leave the hospital and they get seen once mm -hmm. or maybe twice by their provider around six weeks, four to six weeks. So this is during a time where they're sleeping very little. They're going through massive hormonal changes. They're going through physical changes. They're, they're going through a, a learning curve around how to care for a tiny human. Um, and they're going through what's probably the most profound identity shift of their lifetime. And there's no support. And so postpartum care, physiological care, and, and, and what I call the postpartum pause is number three on my list, which is 
we have to <clears throat> remember the proper way to care for postpartum on a physiological level. So that means um, how do we care for the body? The body needs certain things such as warmth, such as uh, particular foods, rest. You know, sleep is a primary postpartum medicine, um, but most moms are hugely sleep deprived in that first year of life. Um, and then the pause, you know, we, there's tremendous pressure on women to bounce back, you know, back, back to their normal life, back to their pre-pregnant body and uh, a tremendous lack of valuing of rest. And we have to remember that, uh, that, that there's that time period um, in many cultures around the world, there's a, about a 40 day period where women are in their home and the community is caring for them. They're not expected to do anything except feed their baby and sleep mm -hmm. and, and be fed and, and, and cared for. And not only just cared for, but um, acknowledged through certain particular ceremonies um, and celebrations. So number four is support. Support, you know, the village, the village, the village. We, we have to get back to the village. We need, we need multi-layers of support. So partner support, we need community support, and we need professional support. Um, and postpartum, you know, in, in many cultures is believed to be a time where how that woman is cared for during the, that early postpartum period is going to affect her. So they say 40 days affects the next 40 years. Wow. So if she's depleted, if she's in survival mode, she's struggling, she's depressed, she's anxious during that phase of her life, <clears throat> that can affect her well into her menopause years. Um, so very, very impactful time that we, we need to support better. And, and the way that, you know, the, the way that we do that is through the village. No one person can, can do all that support. Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Wow. Um, and number five is ceremony. And that just kind of goes, ties back to the acknowledgement piece. You know, there's, there's um, things like closing of the bones, which is practiced in, in many different cultures around the world that involves a physical closure um, of the body, but also an emotional and spiritual closure. Because when we give birth, we're almost like cracked open, you know, mm -hmm. whether we birth <clears throat> by surgery or we birth vaginally, there's these deep, deep levels that we have to open. Um, and so we need to, to bring closure to that. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a lot of other ways that we honor, uh, that pregnant, uh, sorry, postpartum people have been honored around the world. And I think that that's hugely important. Um, in terms of the disparities and solving that problem, we need to uh, be continuing as providers to educate ourselves um, and do trainings around birth justice, around examining our own bias. And um, there's a, a woman who is, she's a journalist and an author, and she created an app that just went out last year called Earth. It's like birth without the B. So they dropped the B for bias. <laughs> and it's basically like a, a Yelp-like app where black and brown women can um, join and find out who are the providers in their area that are giving good care to people that look like them. And so that goes back to, you know, taking the power into our own hands and um, choosing providers that are going to truly support us and, and listen to us and make sure that we're safe and that we are supported and um, that our 
our wishes are honored. That is amazing. And so cool that there is something like that out there that things are starting to get exposed. And, you know, I love that you brought up COVID too, because I feel like so many people look at it as this really negative thing and Mm. not COVID in general, that is negative, but the pandemic in general. But I also think that there is this flip side. And I've said this from the beginning that we really had to go inward and examine a lot of things we were kind of stuck with ourselves and we didn't get to be busy or zoom through life. And I think coming home to that stillness and like allowing our souls to remember, there's like a layer of magic to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I love that. And I, I, I also saw, you know, in the beginning I was kind of like happy to be home and (laughs) it would slow down. Girl, me too. (laughs) So yeah. And it's, and it's also just made glaringly obvious um, problems that have been problems for a long time. So, and when we look at like the burnout rates for moms, um, I don't know if you have seen the 2021 state of motherhood survey, but this is put out by motherly, which is one of the largest media outlets for all things motherhood. They have like a 30 plus million subscriber base and they do this annual survey. I just worked with them on something. That's so funny. Did you? Oh, (laughs) yeah. So 93% of moms are reporting burnout and they are feeling burnt out a larger portion of the time as compared to the survey last year. They feel unsupported at home Mm. um, because they're carrying the majority of burden of childcare and domestic duties. And I think that that really came to light even more so as a result of the pandemic. Um, Then they feel unsupported by society. 92% feel unsupported by society. And the U S is the only industrialized nation that does not mandate paid parental leave, (laughs) you know, which is, again, going back to this, we don't value, we don't value, you know, the life bearers and the life nurturers. Um, And so we need, we need paid maternity leave, we need more flexibility in the workplace for moms, we need spaces where moms can pump in the workplace and affordable childcare. Um, But again, I think we have to go back to claiming our own value and like all these system, system level changes do need to happen as well. And in in a way, I feel like these are, these can be our cultural um, practices that, that, that show that we, we care for and we honor uh, mothers, right? That we have these things in place as a society. Um, But we really do need to begin with ourselves and, and, and realize, like you mentioned something about, you know, that sense of feeling like, I got to be strong. I got to do it all like this, what I call the super mom archetype mm-hmm. where we, you know, before the super mom, we were the martyr. And then when we, with the rise of the first wave of feminism and when we gained the right and, you know, the capacity and options of as far as like uh, pursuing careers and other callings and higher education, we just added stuff to our plate. We didn't take anything off. We still are, the, you know, mostly, mostly the primary care providers. <clears throat> we still do most of the domestic work, and so the super mom archetype is is really uh, killing us too because it's making us feel like we have to do it all. We have to do it all alone. It it kind of ties into the um, the value around rugged individualism in this country, <clears throat> and so if you need support, if you ask for support that's a sign that you're weak or you kind of don't have your shit together. Um, But the reality is, is that, you know, we were never meant to parent in isolation. 
never, ever, ever. And that's not the way it's been done for most of human history. Um, and we need to, to go back to that, that village. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I know the audience is going to have a billion questions because I could seriously keep talking for two more hours. Uh, this topic yeah. is just so important and, you know, uh, eliminating that mother wound on so many levels from, you know, starting at the heart of the womb when we first transition into being a mother is when it starts. And it's not yeah. when we act. And the fact that you brought that up is just so important. Yeah. So when, if the audience has questions or wants to connect with you, and I will put this on the show notes for everyone as well. Um, where are you based out of? What is your hub spot for people to virtually connect with you? Give me all the goods. Yeah. So my, my website is motherfly.mom. Um, so that's M O T H E R F L Y dot mom. So it's not dot com. <laughs> oh, that is amazing. You have dot mom. Um, I have dot mom. <laughs> that's so badass. I love it. Um, and Motherfly, uh, you know, I created that. Uh, I launched Motherfly about four months after I gave birth to my third daughter and then sort of promptly fell into that three year period of depression and anxiety. But Motherfly was a vision and a name that I have given to what I want to be the next archetype for mom. So from martyr to super mom and then mother flies, I feel like the direction we need to go, which is, which speaks to the deep level of transformation, like motherfly, like butterfly, you know, that caterpillar to butterfly is a deep, deep transformation. And the same thing when we become mothers and then also motherfly as in a mother who is flying and thriving. She's not just surviving. Um, so, and then I'm on Instagram at Motherfly Tribe and on Facebook at Motherfly. And I have a Facebook group um, called Motherfly Tribe. Um, I also want to just say that I'm, I, don't, I don't know when this is coming out, but um, I'm preparing for my second annual Map for a New Motherhood uh, Global Summit, which is going to be March 18th through the 22nd. So if you check me on in any of those places, you will see how you can join in that and um, I'm super excited about it. I have lots of great speakers, including Kimberly Seals Ehlers, who is the developer of that Earth app. Oh, that is, oh, juicy. Okay, we need to get on that. <laughs> You'll have to send me a link when you get all the promo stuff for it so we can promote yes, it and I put it have in the show notes. Very soon, yeah. Okay, great. Yes, yes, send that over to me and I can always update it too and keep everyone posted. Great, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and time today and for what you're doing in this world. It's just, you're really making a difference and you're appreciated. Mm, my pleasure. And thank you for having me. Absolutely. Did you know that one in three adults are addicted to cell phone use? I did not want this for my kids. I found Gab Wireless, which has no internet and no apps, but they can text, call, take pictures, have calendars, and all the creative access that's needed. Gab believes in having your kids play outside and live experiences, not being on electronics. I felt safe getting my son this to avoid cyberbullying and having free access to the internet. The best part? This month, they're having a sale, $65 for the phone and $19 a month. Use code Courtney30 at checkout. GabWireless.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If you have a takeaway or something from the conversation that really just resonated within your heart center, I would love to hear about it. Please leave it in the comment section so we can give you more of this content. As always, please subscribe, save, and sharing is caring. We love you to pieces. Have a beautiful and blessed day.